Hubhopper Originals. Welcome back to Zero Down Podcast. In this episode, we are going to talk about consumerism. This is Swati and here's Harita. During the economic boom period of the 1950s and 60s, the gross national product grew by nearly 250% and over 50% of American families moved up into middle class status. This unprecedented and unparalleled growth led to government investment in the nation's infrastructure. Suddenly, the needs of the people were met and the wants began to take center stage. An increase in the disposable income meant that there there was money to spend. People started realizing that status and happiness could be bought through products on a shelf. With the wave of heightened income and the influence of advertising as well as marketing, consumerism was born and has escalated in its cultural prevalence since then. When it comes to defining it, consumerism is a social and economic order that encourages the acquisition of goods and services in ever-increasing amounts. It is the theory that states a country could that consumes goods and services in large quantities will be better off economically. The rational being that consumption of goods and services by individual consumers creates jobs for the workers and wealth for business owners will boost innovation as well as creativity and ensure better standards of living. Given this background, how is consumerism perceived in today's world? Before the 1970s, the term came to be used to relate to efforts to support consumers' interests. But since the 1970s, people began using the term consumerism to mean high levels of consumption. Today, the consumerism idea is perceived in two contrasting ways. One is the benevolent view of the consumer interests, consumer protection and the power of the consumer. It emphasizes on consumers having information of the products available in the marketplace, giving them legal mechanisms to empower their participation in the marketplace and so on. The other is of consumerism being selfish, shallow, destructive and exploitative. It is characterized as the negative force that leads people to needlessly consume more and more goods at the cost of their own and the planet's health. How and why consumerism emerged has been debated for over a century. Many attribute the change to a growing middle class that embraced new ideas about luxury consumption and the growing importance of fashion as a motivator for purchasing rather than necessity. Others argue that consumerism was a political and economic necessity for the production of capitalist competition for markets and profits. Still, others point to rapid increase in technological productivity combined with a rising consumer culture that was based on consumer products, house ownership and debt. Can we really list down some possible factors that are behind spread of consumerism? Without a doubt, Two factors have played a key role in the development of consumerism. 
In what came to be known as the age of imperialism, many European nations explored large sections of previously unknown land which were the storehouse of raw materials for these European countries and thus increased the rate of consumerism in several ways. First, the raw materials fed the industrial factories in Europe and were used to create countless number of consumer goods that were then distributed throughout the world. Second, the vast colonies allowed the European nations access to large markets of people in which they could sell their product. Industrial revolution, which first began in 1700s, led to the spread of consumerism throughout the world. At its heart, industrialization centered on the use of capitalist economic policies that led to the emergence of many different factories and mines. As a result of the economic freedom of that time period, these factories were able to produce countless number of inventions and products on a mass scale. This abundance of new and cheap goods meant that there were many different and affordable products for people to buy. This led to consumerism because it created the system in which people could afford a variety of goods. Also, the wealth accumulated by the business owners of the time period allowed them the ability to afford many goods and helped intensify the consumerist societies of the time. The Industrial Revolution dramatically increased the availability of consumer goods, leading to the advent of the department store, which represented a paradigm shift in the consumer experience. For the first time, Customers could buy an astonishing varieties of goods all in one place and shopping became a popular leisure activity. Of the three factors, environmentalists often point to as responsible for environmental pollution, population, technology and consumption. Consumption seems to be getting the least attention. One reason is that it may be the most difficult to change. Our consumption patterns are so much a part of our lives that to change them would require a massive cultural overall, not to mention severe economic dislocation. A drop in demand for products, as economists note, brings on economic recession or even depression along with massive unemployment. But pollution is only one aspect of the larger problems that the excessive consumption has created. Can you highlight some of the ways in which consumerism is harming our environment and Im impacting the lives of people? Consumption patterns in wealthier countries increases demand for various foods, flowers, te textiles, coffee, etc. Combined with more harmful products such as tobacco and illicit drugs and with input-intensive agricultural practices, including using herbicides and pesticides, the diversion of and misuse of land and associated environmental damage in unsustainable methods adds up. At the same time, industrial agriculture is using more monocultures ra rather than a diversity of crops. The loss of biodiversity is leading to more res resource usage. Secondly, as land ownership has become more concentrated in the hands of fewer owners, larger companies, larger agribusinesses, etc., which increases hunger and drives rural workforce out of the jobs, there is an increase in urban migration as people move to the cities in hope for a better chance. This then places additional stress on the larger cities to provide for more people. It also results in more slum areas health problems, increasing crimes, overcrowding, and so on. Not only this, economic policies of the wealthier nations and their consumption demands mean that more land is therefore used to grow crash crops such as 
bananas, sugar, coffee, tea, etc. for export to wealthier nations primarily, while other land is diverted for non-productive uses such as tobacco, flowers, etc. Additional land is also cleared and used to grow things like, things like cattle for beef exports. In the quantities that some of the products of these exports are consumed, it could be argued that a lot of this production is wasteful and unnecessary. When the best agricultural land is used up to produce these cash crops, more, more marginal land is used for food and subsistence farming. This can also lead to clearing parts of rainforest or some other forms of encroachment on other ecosystems. And because food is a commodity, then it is those who can afford to pay that will get food. At the end, the cost to the environment and local populations in bond is borne not by the consumers of the products, but local people instead. Pollution is also related to increased consumption, that is, the consumption itself plus the production and waste of products used in consumption. Industrial wastes are directly dumped into the water bodies and so are the consumer household waste. Even if pollution is occurring in poor, poorer countries, a large portion of it is to meet this consumer demand. Also, instead of expensive changes to factories to deal with environment, environmental and other issues that the public and society demand, they have let the ability to move some elsewhere and continue on without making these costly changes. As a result, we may see a relatively cleaner environment in the industrialized world, but it is not all explainable by using newer technologies, being more efficient, etc. That's about it for the environmental impacts. What do you think are the social impacts of consumerism? While the mass media is unwilling to highlight the link between poverty, climate change, etc. and consumerism, but they do promote it directly through print advertisements and indirectly by creating desires and needs in the minds of readers, printing stories about new gadgets, new cars, etc. Such a large exposure to advertisements can trap anyone in a consumerist bubble and can mold aspirations, lifestyles, views, etc. Opponents of consumerism argue that many luxuries and unnecessary consumer products may act as a social mechanism allowing people to identify like-minded individuals through the display of similar products, again utilizing aspects of status symbolism to judge socio-economic status and social stratification. Some people believe relationships with the product or brand name are substitutes for healthy human relationships lacking in societies and along with consumerism create a cultural hegemony. Most importantly, various health problems such as obesity, hypertension are often linked with excess consumption, having several implications on the quality of life. Research shows a close link between the rise of the modern culture of consumerism and the worrying rates of obesity we are seeing around the world. However, this should come as no surprise, since consumer, consumerism implies exactly that, using as much as we can rather than as much as we need. This causes a domino effect of problems on society. 
Overconsumption leads to obesity, which in turn leads to further cultural and social problems. Services are stretched further and further as the nationwide obesity rates increase. In totality, excessive consumption causes a shift towards materialism and con competition and away from the values of community and spirituality and has even been linked to depression. According to the American Psychological Review, the modern world asks us to exercise our willpower at so many points in a day that our ability to resist temptation is falling short, leading to a further consumption. How do you think and will link consum consumerism and advertisements? Advertising no longer just informs the consumers of various products and their features. Nowadays, it has started to create the desire for products that one may not require, hence lending a hand to consumerism. The fact that it creates desires can be considered a sort of manipulation of the consumer's judgment, especially when the target audience consists of impressionable people like children. As the influence of advertising grows, this link is becoming stronger. It is now present almost wherever we go, especially online. And many people say that the internet is a democratized space and big producers are on the same platform as small. It's important to remember that the consumers are scattered and don't have the same influence individually. Jorge Majfud, a Latino American intellectual, said, trying to reduce environmental pollution without reducing consumerism is like combating drug trafficking without reducing drug addiction. A lot of people have worked on the criticism of consumerism leading up to the development of a theory called anti-consumerism. What exactly constitutes the theory of anti-consumerism? Anti-consumerism originated from criticism of consumption. Thorstein Weblin in The Theory of Leisure Class, an economic study of institutions. It is the social ideology that opposes the continuous consumption and buying of material possessions. It advocates the theory that cons consumerism leads to depletion of resources and environmental degradation. Economists also link consumerism to consumer debt, unequal distribution of wealth and global poverty. French philosopher Bernard Stiegler argued that consumption governed modern capitalism and advertising techniques create consumer behavior amount to the destruction of psychic and collective individualism. This leads to an addi additive cycle of consumption leading to hyperconsumption, exhaustion of desire and drain of symbolic misery. Anti-consumerism believe that ads create a hyper-real world where commodities are shown to bring happiness. They believe that ads are detrimental to the society as they equate quality of life with accumulation of more and more possessions. It can also be looked up down at the opposing modernity. Many right-wing critics see anti-consumerism as rooted in socialism. Reacting to the criticism to consumerism, what theories do you think offer a better alternative to this? The better alternative to the problem of consumerism is the concept called green consumerism. It basically refers to recycling along with buying and using eco-friendly products that minimize damage to the environment. It is closely linked to the notions of sustainable development or sustainable consumer behavior. There's always a trade-off between green consumption and purchase situations where Consumers have to make choices between environmental environment and their own needs, wants, and desires. P. 
people with low environmental concern tend to prefer free market solutions rather than government policy and shift the responsibility for solving environmental problems on others to encourage to shift green products we need emphasis on marketing the positive sides of green purchase decisions and making low carbon products aspirational that is consumers wants to know what they benefit when putting their money on greener and often more expensive products alternatives there should be a cost benefit thinking in green marketing for example a case study shows an interesting marketing concept called intelligent purchasing which sounds fun and also flatters consumer for his or her good choice it also it shows the advantages without moralizing this was all about the criticism and alternatives to the concept of consumerism besides it we have a deeper philosophy behind the excessive consumption which dates back to the time of socrates and plato can you reflect upon it the philosophy behind consumerism is very interesting in the republic plato seeks to uncover the true nature of the human soul that he might know what makes us virtuous or just Plato describes the soul as being composed of three parts or elements the reason the appetite and the spirit the reason is the element in the soul which calculates the appetite it's which feels passion hunger thirst and is stirred by other appetites while the spirited element is that which we feel anger in this light when we look at the ways consumer culture entices us to act it seems to be largely through appealing to the appetite fast food restaurants and vending machines stocked with empty calories offer instant gratification of our sensations of hunger and thirst and advertisers appeal to our desires for sex and love to sell us everything from sports cars to body spray from deodorant to lingerie Plato describes an internal struggle between these elements for control of our souls and hence our behavior. Plato notes that some people are thirsty sometimes yet unwilling to drink, citing this as evidence that there is an element in their souls urging them to drink and also one stopping them, something different that masters the one doing the urging. Our appetites may tempt us to eat unhealthy food, enticing us with the pleasurable sensation of sweet tastes and rich textures. Our reason, however, may remind us of the eventual negative consequences of such indulgence. Each time we overcome our gluttonous urges, then it represents a victory for reason in the struggle of our souls. If we were to view the spirit as simply the emotional aspect of our personalities it would be easy to disagree with this statement as consumerism often plays on our judgment and emotions to sell their products sentimentality may prompt us to buy exorbitantly priced jewelry irrational hope sells millions of lottery tickets every year fear is a particularly powerful sales tool after the 911 attacks Panicked consumers cleared the stores of duct tape and plastic sheets to seal off windows against poison gas an irrational response to be sure but one which consumer culture was quick to exploit consumer culture with its multitudes of products and experiences for sale seemed designed to cater to the, to that which plato called the democratic soul of the person possessed of such a soul he wrote he lives from day to day gratifying the appetite of the moment 
Sometimes he drinks heavily while listening to the flute, while at others he drinks only water and is on a diet. Sometimes he goes in for physical training, while there are others where he is idle and neglects everything. There is neither order nor necessity in his life, yet he calls it pleasant, free and blessedly happy and follows it through his entire life. To put it in modern terms, sometimes he signs up for a gym membership, other times he pigs out on Twinkies. Of course, if such a democratic soul is happy, then it must seem hard to see why the life of reason would be preferable. Why not surrender to the siren song of consumerism, simply allowing our reason to guide our selection while living in service to the, to the desire of the moment? In his Nicomenian Ethics, Aristotle addresses the question of how people ought to live by examining the good, the common objects of all desire. Aristotle identifies this good with happiness, noting that while we may be sometimes guided by other motivations as well, this desire to be happy is always present. Consumer culture promises to provide us with this elusive happiness so long as we can afford to pay. Advertising is filled with images of smiling, happy people. Buy this product, the voice of the culture whispers, and you can be happy too. Yet, even the wealthy, conspicuous consumers who can afford the most sumptuous lifestyles, the widest array of products, and the highest rate of consumption still seem to be plagued with unhappiness. Why is this the case? The truly happy person, Aristotle believes, is the person whose virtuous soul leads them time and time again to the correct behavior, the virtuous path regarding every pleasure and pain. Thus, when consumer culture offers to satisfy our desires, perhaps a proper response would be to calculate just how much indulgence is reasonable in each case. Faced with our modern culture's arsenal of competing desires, Aristotle's mean might have us act as responsible consumers, planning our budgets carefully, counting our calories and saving up for unassuming package deal vacations. This, re, uh, this rationing of desire still lives us at the mercy of consumerism, however. Reason determines how far we go down any path, but our desires determine our action. For Plato, the proper course of action when confronted with desire is to neither starve nor overfeed it, but to seek out simple and moderate pleasures with which to placate our appetites, letting us get on with our intellectual pursuits. Similarly for Aristotle, the ideal path is to find the golden mean which separates virtue from vice, indulging in any pleasure to the extent that our reason tells us we are neither deficit nor excessive. In both these interpretations, it may be possible to live a good life in a consumer society which manufactures desires so long as the reason is free to guide us in a limited indulgence. It can be concluded that at the end of the day, we cannot justify consumerism just because it can signal that economy is doing well or it can drive the consumption demand leading to rise in employment and incomes. After all, what's the use of any consumption that comes at the cost of damaging environment, deteriorating health of those increased income holders and generating further inequality in the society? Why do we really need innovation in terms of newer and better products when half of the world cannot really afford some basic needs? Economics is not just about money, it's also about the people who constitutes it and about their well-being in whatever way one wants to measure it.